Hey, you're going to love this interview with Daniela Osio, the co-founder and CEO of Clupify. We talk all about procurement, its desperate need for innovation and revolution, and how her platform is helping companies to implement sustainability goals into their procurement process. I knew very little about procurement. If you're in the same boat as me, this is going to be a fantastic educational experience. And if you happen to be in the space, you're going to take your knowledge to the next level with some of Danielle's insights. Here it is. Every interview, I get to learn a lot, both in the prep and in the conversation. I am super confident that, that will be the case today because uh, I am something below ignorant just in terms of procurement. And then we <laughs> add in this extra element of sustainability. So, you know, I, I can try to do like the most basic ex explanation of procurement you can build off of me. But my understanding is as companies get really big, they need to manage their purchasing of vendors, of supplies, of all the different things that makes their business run. And historically, they have been focused on optimizing around paying a good price and getting good quality when they buy stuff. You've spent your career in that space. So tell me what other considerations there are. And then also what other considerations you think are going to be a part of the future or are a part of the present that you want to help these large companies understand? Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit about the history of procurement. As you said, we started with only evaluating cost and quality. And those were like the, the two main factors that got a supplier to win a contract. But as we've kind of like evolved the um, profession of procurement, we've also realized that procurement is like the way that you feed your company. And so it is critical to success for it to run and for it to operate at optimum efficiency. And so, you know, historically, we've looked at suppliers as transactional. And now we've, we're starting to move towards their supplier relationship is super important because they are on the front line. If you don't get a product, if your product's late, missing, if the quality's missing, procurement's the first one to engage with those suppliers because they have that relationship with them through the negotiation process and even through setting key performance indicators with those suppliers to make sure that they're meeting the objectives that are, that are stated out in the contract. And now as we kind of like evolve, we've continued this evolution. And when we've really understood because of the pandemic, how important that procurement is, because it's your front line to making sure that the rest of your business is operating efficiently. We're actually learning that procurement is, has the key to enabling organizations to meet their sustainability goals. Because up to 80% of a company's footprint can come from your procurement organization. So similar to you are what you eat, you are what you buy. Yeah. And so we see that at the micro, you are what you eat. People are not just considering when it, they think about their meals, is this something that I can afford and is it of, of good quality food? But we see, you know, more and more, I want it, you know, locally sourced or, or all these other, you know, in some cases, they're marketing taglines, but in other cases, they really are representative of the qualities that went into the thing that I'm consuming. This is just blowing it out to a much, much larger scale. Like, what are the budgets that we're talking about with some of these large oh, companies? Hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. I mean, if you think about one, I think it's one third of your entire revenue goes to like going back into your supply chain and into your procurement organization. So it takes up, it's a huge cost and expenditure for a, for a company. And it's pivotal to enabling them to succeed. And so when you have a well-run procurement organization, it doesn't just help you from a contract perspective, but it makes sure that you are building sustainability and longevity into your, into your organization. Right on. And so you started Clupify. What, what were you seeing from inside one of these large company you know, procurement departments that you just realized there had 
to be a solution built to, to bring to bear? Yeah. So I, you know, while I was working in procurement, I had the pleasure of um, working at DuPont when DuPont and Dow merged into one company and then split into three independently traded companies. So I was really, I didn't just see what was going on inside of DuPont. I got to see what was going on inside of our competitors' um, procurement organization. We were able to compare, you know, what negotiation levers did they use to get the price or quality or or what did we use? And we got to see um, the data that was available to not just my organization, but to like a direct competitor's organization. And one thing that was really clear to me as I was kind of looking around in the industry was that like procurement really just lacks data and visibility and has an, an and when your choices directly affect the organization, not having that information at your fingertips to make the best choice kind of leaves you, you know, a little bit behind, behind the eight ball. And so during the pandemic, we saw a big push towards sustainability. It was no longer this nice to have, but it was a required to play. And so even more recently, you're seeing the SEC is making you know, carbon disclosure announcements, investors are requiring it, requiring it, and customers are kind of starting to see like, okay, we're, we're going to reward the organizations that are doing the right thing when it comes to sustainability, where it's not just a lip service, but you're showing me proof that you have it. And so as this pressure, this increasing sustainability pressure just continued to build inside of these companies, and these organizations are realizing the role that procurement plays, you know, I'm I'm starting to see in the industry like, oh, wow, procurement is going to bear the brunt of making these goals a reality. And from my own experience, they already are missing key data that helps them make choices and decisions. There is a huge opportunity and a need for us to empower procurement professionals with the right data at the right time that's going to enable them to make meaningful impact reduction choices and to create a business case for sustainability. Because at the end of the day, you know, these organizations aren't, they are doing it because it's the right thing to do. But more importantly, they're still companies, so they need to make money. So you need to frame it in a way that you can influence the right, you can pull on the right levers so that it's the right business choice, not just the right thing to do. Got it. And when you talked about, you know, the data not being particularly strong or you know, seeing these gaps from inside the the belly of the beast, is there a degree to which, you know, and, and this could just be my naive interpretation, it is a huge part of the company's expenses, but is it something that gets the same type of attention from like the highest levels of the C-suite? Because when I think of like cutting edge data, I think about, you know, we need to equip our marketers and our salespeople with the bleeding edge because they're the one, you know, rounding up the new business yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It seems like because, you know, obviously I'm relatively ignorant to procurement, that there's a little bit of like a blind spot from leadership. And so it's also just elevating how big the opportunity is to them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and we're actually starting to see a little bit of a shift where historically the chief procurement officer, the CPO, reported into the CFO because finance kind of had control of budgets and operations. But now because we organizations and leadership are starting to realize, okay, wait, procurement is pivotal to our success. It is it is critical to how we do business. They're starting you're starting to see this trend where CPOs are actually reporting directly into CEOs. And so that that change of reporting structure already kind of signals to the rest of the world like procurement is no longer second at the table. They are at the table because they are key to strategy and key to our long-term success. 
And so, as you mentioned, because they were kind of, let's say, not at the big table, at the main C-suite table, there wasn't a lot of focus on technology and innovation in that space and in that field. And so, not only is there a huge opportunity from a sustainable procurement perspective, but there's just huge opportunity to disrupt and innovate in a historically, you know, um, non-technology space. And so, like you mentioned, marketing, finance, those are the ones that have gotten like the buzz, like we got to get them the right data and the right technology and et cetera. And now it's like procurement has been like left in the background. And now that it's getting the spotlight, it's like perfect for companies like Clupify to come in and enable them to be, to have their spot, their rightful spot at the leadership table and to have the authority that they need in order to make the right choices. And can you talk about the business model that underpins Clupify? So as you're engaging these big companies, like, I, 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 you know, I can back of the napkin, like you could do a model where, you know, we pay you for the, I'm sorry, you pay us for the money we save you, or you pay us for the number of seats that someone uses or what have you. But like, how does, how does the business model that underpins creating legibility on your procurement process work? Yeah. So we have taken a different approach than what historically, like, per seat model. So the way that we look at it is how many suppliers you have and how much spend you have. Because the number of suppliers and spend is relative to how large and complex your organization is. Got it. The more large and complex, the higher the price point, the less than the lower the price point for Clupify. But we specifically did not want to have a per seat basis because one thing about procurement is that they are a supporting function in where they are supporting many times many business units and many leaders. And so they go across the entire organization. Yeah. And we want Clupify to be part of how you do business. Right. And, and so if it's we, limited to seats, you're going to exactly. be like, okay, these you know, 12 or 1,300 exactly. people own this and no one else is going to be looking at any of this data. Exactly. And that makes no sense because procurement is one of the people, but they want to influence manufacturing and marketing and sales. And they're talking to production and they're talking to, you know, the actual, the site leaders and all of those people care very deeply about what are the suppliers that are feeding their operations? How are they doing? How are they performing? Are they setting the right KPIs? Are they meeting those KPIs, those key performance indicators? And so being able to be part of the entire organization is one of our, you know, objectives here at Clupify. Well, the the history of this show is I've gotten increasingly interested in operations and people that are just actually executing on stuff. And in past episodes, what we've talked about is, you know, what is the the impetus or the catalyst for this greater focus on sustainability, ESG, other things like that. And so we've spent the time on, from an investment perspective, why, you know, capital is being allocated towards this or why you know, the executives are more oriented. If your investors, your shareholders are saying, hey, we care about this, then that's going to lead to kind of downstream business uh, strategy changes. But what we're really talking about here is operationally what changes inside the business. Yeah. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about like the actual implementation of how this will inform decision making? And then once again, the scale, because we've talked, you know, off camera here about the scale of some of these investments. And like, there's a really large potential for impact. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the beginning, which is, you know, an organization, a good rule of thumb is for every buyer, there's about 100 suppliers that they manage. And even with 100 suppliers, there can be one to 100 commodities that a buyer is responsible for. Wow. So that's just a lot under their, their belt that they're responsible for. And many times since, you know, first thing about Clupify when we come in is we'll do a, 
a baseline assessment for all of your procurement activities. So we take every single line item of spend and we run it through our proprietary algorithm and we enable the entire organization to have visibility into what suppliers and what commodities in particular are driving the most amount of footprint. And then from there, we empower the entire procurement organization to have their own unique personalized view. So I manage these 100 suppliers and these 10 commodities. I want to know exactly what impact do those commodities have? What suppliers are driving my suppliers under my responsibility? What's their footprint for the whole organization? And what am I responsible for? So then I can individually decide it makes sense for me to go after these four suppliers to set really aggressive sustainability goals because in the, in the large scale of things, it has a much higher impact for, for potential change. So we're empowering them to be like, it doesn't make sense to go after the tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of suppliers if only you know 3% of those suppliers are responsible for 70% of your footprint. And they don't even have legibility to that currently. They have no, no. idea what the actual high impact suppliers are. Exactly. Many organizations have, you know, no baseline assessment. And if they have a baseline assessment, like they've hired a consultant to come in to do an audit and assessment for them, um, that data becomes obsolete in less than a year because you're constantly changing your buying practices. You're changing who you're buying from. You're switching this one out. You're putting this one in and or you're buying more of one commodity and then a project shifts and now you're buying more of a different commodity, different things. For example, we did a um, work here with the city of Pittsburgh, and we learned that um, 48 suppliers out of their 1,700 were responsible for 80% of their footprint. Wow. So now the city of Pittsburgh is empowered with the right data to start making strategic changes and start talking to different suppliers using data in a different language to be able to make meaningful impact changes for themselves that they can capture. Because as we said earlier, you are what you eat, you are what you buy. When your supplier's footprint reduces, your footprint reduces. And so that that's tied to a term that I had to get smarter on in preparation for this interview, scope one, scope two, scope three, emissions. Um, can you just help us with a definition of that? Because I'm sure you're not only educating our audience, but you're educating your clients as you come in and help them you know, make sense and legibility of this data. Yeah, absolutely. So the scope one, two, and three, that comes from a greenhouse gas protocol. The greenhouse gas protocol is the most widely recognized and accepted way of doing carbon accounting. And so the SEC, for example, is referencing to scope one, scope two, scope three. Scope one is the emissions correlated to what your four walls. Scope two is the emissions correlated to the energy required to, you know, move, to, to produce, to, to run those four walls. And scope three is everything that's upstream and downstream. So that means everything that's feeding your organization and coming out of your organization. And the largest percentage, the largest footprint inside of scope three is responsible for up to 80% of a company's footprint. And inside scope three, the largest chunk is purchase goods and services. So if you have a manufacturing operation, if you have a supply chain, the thing that is driving the most amount of your carbon emissions is your purchase goods and services. So that's everything that you're feeding your manufacturing organizations, your operations. And, you know, to use a simple example, if you're a car manufacturer, you have all these, you know, small suppliers that are shipping in the bolts and this widget and that widget and that widget that eventually gets assembled and turned into your, your truck, your car, your van, whatever. And all of those things obviously have an impact on the total carbon footprint of the, the automobile that's produced. Exactly, exactly. And even if you're thinking about if the organization is purchasing energy, energy is a huge footprint creator and it's still 
it sometimes falls under scope too because it's like the energy that you're using. But if you're buying energy, that means that you're procuring that carbon footprint. You're you're procuring that good and service, and that translates into a really meaningful um, carbon footprint. And so I guess my next question with with all that context, and it's obviously a really exciting big opportunity that you guys are pursuing. How do your your buyers get confidence in the clarity and, and just the reality that's based in that data? Because it feels so complex and so vast as we're talking about like going out into these, you know, far distances down my supply chain. How is that actually kind of collected in order to be properly categorized? Yeah. So for Clupify, we use both private and public databases to get information that's even like, for example, uh, we use a database that's run by the EPA that gives you commodity-specific information and industry uh, environmental um, uh, footprint information. So we're using all of these disparate databases, and then we're taking every single line item and mapping it to disparate databases to give you a, a baseline analysis, to identify hotspots. Like I said earlier, what what commodities, what um, what suppliers are driving the biggest amount of footprint. And then from there, Clupify enables the buyer to identify where does it make sense to get supplier-specific information? Where does it make sense to say, okay, I'm no longer, you know, these seven categories, these 100 categories, these 1,000 suppliers are the ones that I need to target all of my attention towards. And then you, instead of having to go after 100,000, tens of thousands of suppliers, you've now reduced your scope of work to these 100 suppliers or these number of suppliers that are going to drive the most amount of meaningful impact. And those are the ones that I'm going after and getting supplier-specific information from. And within Clupify, we enable all of that. And so you're not just taking you know, a shotgun approach and trying to figure out if you, if you are in the right direction. We're giving you the data so that you can start and you can go down this journey. And remember, this is a, an ever-going journey because as you set those goals and you're going to continue to track and measure and report and continue to tell the story and set KPIs, and that all happens inside of Clubify. Awesome. So it's a pretty big market opportunity. You're pretty fired up about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we have a, a unique ability to change the way that organizations are spending their money. And it's, it's a great thing, for example, for how to, that we can take into our own personal lives. Because where you spend your money is a vote in the things that you believe in. Yeah. And if you, you and I have that same amount of power that these organizations have, they, much have, they have it at a larger scale, but where you spend your money is a direct correlation into like, what's your footprint and what do you believe? And are you supporting the things that are mission aligned to your values and, and what you find important? So it's a great way to say this has a huge impact to change the way that trillions of dollars are being spent around the world but also has the ability to, to kind of like remember that at home, you also have this power. You spent the time like in the big company, you spent the time like in, I, I called the belly of the beast before, but like specifically in the industry, seeing the problems at that kind of macro scale. And then you, you jump out on your own to, to uh, launch a startup to actually address the problems that you're seeing. So can you just talk about that arc on a personal level and what you've learned kind of going through, I would call it a substantial shift. I'm curious <laughs> yeah. what, what your perspective is on it. Yeah, it, it, it is a big change. I will say that I have always dreamed of starting my own company. Um, my father and I, actually, fun fact, is that this company was started, my father and I both started this company. I um, mean, that happened during the pandemic. I come from a family of immigrants, um, and even my uh, grandparents were all entrepreneurs. So it was always something that I had a dream of. And the pandemic 
did to me what it did to many, which is like made me take inventory of my life. Am I doing the things that I want to be doing? The answer was no. The reason was fear, and that's just not a good enough reason. False evidence appearing real. Oh, I like it. There you go. There you go. Exactly. And so I just like was not okay with that answer. I was not okay. I just like sounds a little morbid, but I was like, on my deathbed, am I going to be okay with the fact that I didn't do it because I was scared? And I was like, no, I won't. So I did. I took that jump, that leap. Um, it's scary. I mean, to to be um really honest and transparent, it's a really scary experience because you don't have the comfort and the support and like the um the stability that comes from being inside of these huge organizations where um you know I was really successful I had was climbing the corporate ladder I had you know attention of 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 the executives and I was doing really well 30 um, under 30 all the 30 cool under stuff. 30 yeah doing and speaking at you know world conferences on on topics around procurement and manufacturing and my own experiences so so I was doing really well but it just wasn't like it didn't you know, light me up. It didn't get that fire. And, and so made that transition and completely different. I mean, just the, the magnitude and the scale of knowledge that now I know is just, it's like, you're really learning from a fire hose all the time when you're in a startup. Um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, it's 100% worth it. And I would encourage other people to take this leap because fail or succeed, the amount that you learn about yourself, about how to start a company about the entire process. It's skills that you can apply to so many different aspects of your life. I always say it's a great forcing function for learning because in the past, it's like I could learn this or I could dedicate Mm -hmm. the time to it. But then, you know, I I have a good friend who he had, he basically built this website and turned it into a business. And he like basically had to force teach himself SEO because he didn't have the budget to hire an SEO person. He was like, I got to learn this, like make or break for the the website. It's like, yep, that's an amazing way to get that knowledge. Uh, And so I want to very specifically talk about, you know, we talked about you know marketing and sales being kind of like the sexy side of a lot of businesses where a lot of this investment comes, and you're coming from this background in procurement. And when you start a startup, there's going to have to be a salesperson. You're going to have to sell talent on joining the company. You're going to have to sell uh, clients or customers on actually using the product that you're building. And you're going to have to sell investors on backing the vision and giving you the, the kind of financing that you need. So specifically, your journey in selling this because you you had the operation you had the background in procurement you saw the problem i'm not saying that developing the product was trivial because that is also a a part of the journey (laughs) but specifically building that sales capability given my interpretation that wasn't the core function of what you were doing back in corporate no but i will say that i was always an influencer and i always like after i did the stint in procurement i went and designed and implemented a global risk management system that enabled the electronics and imaging business to be able to completely outperform their competition during the pandemic. So we set up proactive and reactive. So I was always like in the forefront of wanting to innovate and always wanting to implement technology. And like, really, that was something that was always part of it. But sales was something that I had not necessarily done in this traditional sense of sales. So, um, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. I've like read books and I've, the key is to like surround yourself with people that like know more than you do. And the nice thing about being in Pittsburgh and being um, here is that like people want to help you. And so I joined like a sender for bootcamp program for um, Clupify. And that helped me kind of start strengthening some of my sales um, skill sets. And then I just started asking my network around me that I knew were like great at this aspect of sales and saying like, hey, 
will you sit down with me? Can I ask you some questions? How can I frame myself like this? Um, and then I started, you know, we, we bootstrapped this for the first two years of Clupify. It was completely just um, like your friend, just scrapping it all together and learning and, and just, you know, going to my network and being like, would you help me with some of this? Will you sit down for me? And thankfully, most of them and everybody was like, yeah, like, absolutely. I want to support and help you. Um, but then, you know, we we knew that in order to get to the magnitude and make the level of change that we knew we could make and get to the 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 scale that we knew we could get to, we needed to start working with investors. And so we um, actually started the fundraising journey um, back in October and excited to announce that we closed our first round of funding where we raised $1.5 million for Clupify, um, backed by investors like Black Tech Nation, Innovation Works, The Fund Midwest, and some other um, local um, investors. So I'm really excited about not just the future of Clubify, but the team that we've built along the way and the believers that we have, because this really is a, you know, once in a lifetime um, opportunity. And I think that uh, Clubify can really um, have a uh, a meaningful um, uh, stake in the ground for the history of Pittsburgh. Right on. And also the other thing with with businesses in particular, it's always a question of timing. Because like, you know, there are people that had the idea for the smartphone well in advance of the iPhone. There are people that had, you know, all these different ideas. The timing just wasn't quite right. And it does seem like there is an alignment between this now being a dictate all the way from, you know, Wall Street and, and the investment that is going into these large companies in conjunction with the data actually being there to start to get legibility. Because you could you could have this desire. You could have had this desire 20 years ago. Yeah. Where would you have pulled the data from to even be able to make these type of decisions? It, I mean, I think data, the data has gotten better. But I, but the thing that has it, that, that is changes the time and like the, the macroeconomics of it all, right? You've got the SEC announcements. You've got BlackRock making, you know, very heavy claims that sustainability will drive and create the the next unicorns in the climate tech space, but it's going to um, change the way that we do business. Because five to seven years ago, sustainability was a nice to have, but not like a required to play. Um, and now it's no, it's no longer like that. So the timing is perfect because we're starting to make that shift and that transition. And so it enables technology solutions like Clupify to come in and then scale and grow as we continue to mature through this sustainable procurement journey. You know, I spoke last year, and I'll be speaking this year at the largest um, world conference for procurement professionals. And when I tell you that last year and this year, the one topic that is the most requested and that is on the minds of everybody that's attending, it's sustainable procurement, because we know that the pressure is continuing to increase, and we know that with the tools and the technology we have today, it's a it's it's almost like a Herculean, like it's imp it's an impossible task to to have procurement lead this on top of everything else that they're doing. Right on. Well, luckily they have Clupify to help them out. Absolutely. Um, origins of the name Clupify. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, uh, Clupify. We live in a very linear economy where we take, make, and dump the majority of our resources. In order to live in harmony with the world and with and to have a prosperous future prosperous future, we have to move towards a circular economy where we reintroduce, recycle, refurbish, and all the R's. So Clupify is the action of closing the loop. We're here to cloop things. And uh, so with Clupify, you can uh, begin that transition. 
Right on. Uh, well, very exciting. Congratulations on the fundraise. And thank you, thank you for uh, taking time to be on the podcast today. Before we ask our standard last questions, is there anything else you were hoping to share today that I didn't give you a chance to? Yeah, if sustainability is something that, you know, lights your your fire, if you're excited about what we're doing here at Perc- at Clupify, please reach out to us at, you know, info at Clupify.com or come check out our website. We are looking for the best of the best to join this team, um, whether it's product, sales, marketing. Um, so if that's something that you, if you want to come on this exciting journey to disrupt the way that, you know, organizations buy and to make sure that we have um, a future for future generations, then please reach out. And it sounds like really from a hiring standpoint, basic offense, defense, we need the defense to build out the product. We need the offense to go, you know, land deals. Those are the two primary investments that yeah. are being made with the round. With it, yes, that is exactly it. Very exciting. Uh, Danielle, we're going to link all that uh, website, social media, in, uh, email in the show notes for today's episode. You can find it in the app where you're probably listening to this right now or at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast for every single episode of the show. But before we let you go, I'd like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Ooh, yeah. So my actionable personal challenge is take a look at where you're spending your money. Um, Take a look and really take um, inventory of are you spending your money with organizations and with companies that align with your personal personal goals, morals, and objectives. Because where you spend your money is a direct vote um, and support for the things that you believe. Um, And so I challenge each and every one of us to say, are we supporting, if we say we're supporting local, are we supporting local? If where we're buying our clothes, what we're, you know, what the food that we're eating, um, who are we buying it from? Um, And start to, if, if you don't have, and if you go and start evaluating and looking and you don't have the right answers, like go ask those companies and, and pressure them to give you the information because we have the power to make meaningful, impactful change. I love that. And back to the micro macro example, um, one of the my favorite like personal exercises is you audit your bank account and your calendar and see if that reflects the priorities that you purport to have. And so if you're like, you know, family is really important and then there's no like dedicated family time on your calendar, it's like, oh, not so sure about that. <laughs> yeah. And you, you can go on and on down the line, but taking that back up to the macro at a company level, if you're auditing, obviously your spend via procurement, but also the time, like, are there any meetings on this topic or are we just kind of like hand waving at it and then, yeah. you know, crossing our fingers? That's a really, really good way to provide clarity on, are we actually working towards the goals we purport to have? Exactly. Daniela, this was fantastic. Thank Absolutely. you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. We just went deep with Daniela Osio. Hoping out there has a fantastic day. Thank you for listening to the end of my interview with Daniela. If you're interested in another very big, fast-growing business in a relatively unsexy sector of the economy, you're going to enjoy our past interview with Christy Knischel of Knischel Logistics. She also has been in business with her dad, and she's also been fantastically successful at leading a business that puts customer service at its center. One of my favorite conversations ever. Go check it out.